Welcome to the Women in Industry podcast. My name is Kirsty Davis Chinnick, and today I'm joined by Kelly Alty. I got that right. She's the Group Finance Director at Metalliform Group Limited, and with over 75 years' experience, Metalliform Holdings are a renowned and long established UK manufacturer of furniture within the education and office sectors. They are proud to be a leading British manufacturer supplying schools, colleges, universities, purchasing supply catalogue customers, office suppliers, construction companies, and local authorities. That's a long list. <laughs> Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Kirsty. The first thing I, um, I'm really excited for you to tell us some more about is the fact that in your sort of 80th year, uh, Metalliform, the, the company, is is now ran by two women. Um, is that the first time in its 80-year history? Absolutely, yeah. I've worked for the company for seven years and it's always been a flat structure. We've had no chief exec, so I joined an SMT, a senior management team of six people, of which it was a mix of men and women. Um, and now, um, as the company's grown, weirdly, the senior management team has become smaller, so we report to the external shareholders but they're just myself and a colleague, Emma Tipping-Smith, our group sales director, who basically run two sites, 130 people. And it's challenging, but it's exciting. And yeah, it's nice that we're, we're putting the flag up for women in business. To, you know, we're clearly good at our jobs, otherwise we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been promoted to this level. That's excellent. And yeah. the, the two of you, were you both part of the senior management team initially and then we uh, were given more and more responsibility. Yeah, as every person left the business, um, they they just loaded more and more onto us. Basically, the shareholders were like, "Would you like some more responsibility?" And so we just took more and more on, which has been interesting. To be fair, I feel like it's taken me away from my spreadsheets a bit more, and it had me more involved with other aspects of the business, operationally, transport, warehousing. I get involved in all sorts, so it's actually really interesting. And challenging. I, I think um, when you've got a, a finance role in an SME, um, it's not just about the number crunching, they're looking at the spreadsheets. Um, Nikki Butlin from ASC Metals in one of the previous um, podcasts, she's a finance director there. And, and she says finance just gives you an overview of the whole business. And the more you can get involved in the other areas, you mentioned operationally, operationally um, and, and the warehousing and transport, the better you are at the finance aspect, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely, yeah, completely agree. So you, you sort of, in a short period of time then, um, seven years, you, you sort of came in as a financial controller um, and then you were a director um, and, and, and you've got you and Emma running the multi-site business, you know, with a, yeah. a fairly large team of people. When you joined, did you think, oh, I'm going to have a seat on the board in five years? Surely, my, I've, I've never reported to a finance director. So although I've only recently got the title in the last two years, the fancy title of being a director, I've always done that job. That's always been like the book stopped with me. So um, yeah, I've always been on the board from day one. Um, but it was a deep end training for me. I was like, oh, I'm on a board of directors. And I started off not saying much, just taking the minutes. Um, and then I started giving my opinion. And that's when 
they thought, oh yeah, she kind of knows what she's on about. <laughs> and I ask questions as well to learn about the industry. You know, I've developed my knowledge and I've shown that I can do it. So, And I think um, when you come into a new industry or into a new business, you, you've, you've got to find your feet first, haven't you? You've got to know what's yeah. going on by asking those questions um, yeah. before you give your opinion, because otherwise it... It, it can it's not worth much. It, it can backfire <laughs> a bit, I think. Um, yeah. So, prior, uh, prior to moving to um, you, you, the role now, you'd worked predominantly, um, looking at your sort of um, previous roles, for accountants and financial advisory firms. Um, what made you take the leap into manufacturing? I did love my time in practice. I love the client portfolio. I love the different industries, the different personalities that I came across. But I found that I'd meet with them once a quarter or even annually some clients and I'd have great ideas for their business and I'd suggest them to them and they'd take them on at the meeting. They'd be like, yeah, 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 good idea. I'll look into that. Three months, 12 months later, they hadn't looked into it. So I thought it would actually be good for me to move into a company where I'd have more influence week in, week out. I could stay on their case. I could push ideas through. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it because I feel I'm heard more rather than... I, I know like with smaller companies, it's harder because people are busy doing their day, day jobs. But yeah, I've, I've got more influence within a business than I had as a practice accountant. That's really interesting. We um, here at Professional Polishing, one of the things we've always done is we've considered um, our accountant a sort of an extension of the senior management team. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the things he suggests, we get, oh, that's a brilliant idea, and we carry it out. And other things he suggests, we go, no, it'll never work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you are right. It, it, it's something you go, oh, that's a fantastic idea. And you write it onto the list that's already got 500 things to do when you get five minutes. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you blink twice and 12 months has gone past. Um, is it really fulfilling that you're being able to see some of those ideas come to life? Oh, absolutely. Um, the operating profit when I first joined was 350k. It's now at 1.9 million. So I'm very focused on profit myself and the senior management team. You know, it's not all down to me. But in the last seven years, to take it from 350k to 1.9 million is an incredible achievement. That That is, wow. Um, I would like that, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know when you're looking for a new FD, Kirsty. Oh, well, it's, yeah, and, and profit is, is essential um, for mm -hmm. further investment, for further expansion, yeah. for R&D. Obviously, you're manufacturing products and... If you want to put them into a new um, end user sort of area, you need to do the R&D and change things yeah. for them to mm -hmm. be able to go there. And that takes money and it can take, what I suppose, 12 months for you to yeah. get to that stage. That's a lot of investment and you've got to have the money up front to do that, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. It's not just about keeping the shareholders happy. Like you say, it's about the investment, having the cash available to continue to reinvest it into the business, improve processes, keep our shop floor happy, um, all areas of the business, keep our customers happy, keep expanding our product range. So, yeah, it really helps having that much cash available oh, to no, continue that, to grow. That, that is a 
it's seriously a fantastic achievement. It really, really is. Thank you. Uh, really. It, it, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though, oh. isn't it? Because when you're in the thick of it, you don't really appreciate it. Day by day, week by week, year by year, it just goes by, you're just in the thick of doing your job. Yeah. And it's only when you look back and you think, wow, look what we achieved, guys. This is amazing. But that reflection on what you do is really important to not only celebrate those wonderful achievements that you and the team, the whole team have done, but also you can use it to find things that didn't go so well, that didn't work. Um, yeah. And you can then improve on those, but you can't really have one without the other um, because otherwise you sort of go into a, I suppose, a negative spiral and... Mm -hmm. that's yeah. not going to help you drive things forward like you say i think probably one of the most important lessons i've learned over the last seven years is just to take action sooner um i think you can spend a lot of time considering things and not and i don't know like if you have a certain problem in the business you just see how it goes just let's just monitor the situation and it ends up costing the business money let's just crack on and change it yeah um it, it does um, and even if you want to change it, sometimes you don't have the resources there and then to do mm -hmm. it. But then when you take your eye off it, because I don't know, something bright and shiny comes along, like a new account and you start focusing on that, or then you have a breakdown or something. It can be months before you go back and you realize you've still not done something about it. Absolutely. Yeah. You're so right. Distractions come along all the time. So if you don't address it, nip it in the bud. It just gets bigger. One of the things that um, I saw when I was doing my research on you is as well as obviously the role that you hold now, um, you've both in your previous career and your current role, you've had experiences of several mergers and acquisitions talking about distractions. Um, <laughs> That's a whole day job on top of your day job. It is, isn't it? It's. <laughs> <laughs> It's um, so when, when, when you're g going through an M&A, um, what skills have you, because an M&A throws you in the deep end and brings up so many things, each one's different. Um, yeah. What skills do you find work best when you're dealing with an M&A? I found it really interesting because you'll get to learn so much about the past of the business, the present, the future, because you're looking at budgeting to reassure the new owners that we're going to be good, we're going to be growing. Um, but I find that I'm, I'm quite a good project manager. I'm very resourceful. I don't always have to answer to every single question that lands in my inbox, but I figure it out. Everything's figureoutable. And I like that. That's part of the fun. So just being able to think on your feet and find out, think for yourself, where can I get that information? You ask around in the business, nobody seems to know the answer. You use Google and it's, it's really interesting. And it makes you realize after that, that all the small stuff that you would normally worry about Everything's figureoutable. We um we call that um me and one of my senior team, Paul, we call that coming up with a cunning plan. Um from but the way um Blackadder used to do it. Um and, and we just sort of throw Blackadder clips at each other all the time and quotes when we come up with a cunning plan. <laughs> so I think <laughs> our our standard one is as cunning as a fox with two tails. So um <laughs> Right. It, it is it is in a way if you break it down it's all small stuff 
you know mm -hmm. it might be a yeah. massive M&A but all the moving parts each one is achievable um, yeah. and it's it's taking each of those off in, in bites to get to the end goal um, mm -hmm. or yeah. do you to like to sort of yeah do you break it down or do you like to sort of try and do the big thing first um, I try to tick off the little things first and then put a couple of hours to one side for the big stuff. Anything that can get out my inbox quickly, I do. But what, one thing that surprised me with M&As is I didn't realise that lawyers actually worked evenings and weekends. They, towards the end of the deal, they work round the clock. So I'm quite impressed with lawyers. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And um, yeah. I think it depends whether you're on the successful or the expensive side of an M&A. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when we bought a company into the group in my first year, we had a lawyer representing us and he was like really chill and a bit too chill for my liking. And then we had a female lawyer representing the other side and in the meetings, she's taking notes and she's like, yeah, I'll action that. Yeah, I'll deal with that. And we've kept in touch, actually. Deborah Melio, which I'll give her a shout out from Eaton Smith. She was so on fire with stuff. And now she's that, now my go-to corporate lawyer. Any questions, Deborah is the person, because I know she just gets stuff done. What a brilliant testimony that even though you were on the opposing sides of the deal, <laughs> yeah. uh, she ends up like sort of being in your back pocket for all the future ones. Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? I'm like, I want her next time. <laughs> I want her on my team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you're a brilliant project manager. You love doing that. You've got the day job um, as well. Then you've got any M&A that comes along. Uh, you, you're running the sides. It's you've got to find a way to sort of like clear your mind at some point. Um, and I noticed that you're a, a huge fan of journaling, and you've posted a few things about this on on LinkedIn. What is it about journaling that helps you? I really liked writing. I started. I loved English at school, writing stories. Which, looking back, that was probably part of my mind coming out, um, just blurting things out on paper and making it into a story. Um, so it wasn't personal then. Um, and then in my twenties, I started to document my travel goals. As I got older, I started to document my house goals and my career goals. Um, and as my career has progressed, I'm just really busy. Sometimes, some weeks, you've you got such a lot on your mind, a really busy mind. And I find just blurting it out on paper, either, and I don't do this often, but things that irritate me, I, I normally write down on a, a piece of paper that I can dispose of. Yeah. <laughs> but in my nice journal, I write down things that I'm thankful for, things that are great in my life, just gratitude, to remind myself that it's not all about this work rubbish. You know, I've got a lot to be thankful for. I've got a good life, good family, good health, good career path, you know, some lovely holidays that I look forward to. You know, I, I have a good life on the whole, so it's just realigning my mindset that um, don't sweat the small stuff, just appreciate what's good, what's going right. I, I think one of the really important things when you're um, keeping a journal or uh, writing down something that you're thankful for, where, whether you're doing a gratitude journal or um, a retrospective um, journal where you're reflecting on things or whether you're refocusing on you know what's really important to you 
it just gives you that time to to be you doesn't it um, yeah if you've got a particular challenge and it might be at work it might be um you know somebody in the family might be ill or there might be i don't know the boiler might have gone again but something that's constantly in your mind and something you've got to fix and get done in a timely manner it can take over everything can't it it can yeah and that's why it's so important to just park your thoughts onto something that for me i can dispose of <laughs> I um, and then it's screwed up and i feel good about that and it's it's not in my head anymore i've, I've discussed it with this piece of paper that's now in the bin <laughs> yeah and um one of the things that um I started doing last year was um, I set up a new business, Women With Metal. We had our first conference. And then from um, December, we started doing um, sort of like a monthly e-journal that people can down download. Um, and I find it really useful just to look at areas where it might be beneficial for someone who, who's maybe running around in circles, just stopping and taking that time and to go, what's important to me? Yeah. How can I achieve it? Because sometimes we get lost in our jobs. And it's like you say, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, yeah. We, we need to sort of take that step back sometime, which can be quite difficult to achieve. I know. And then you have to remind yourself, in the grand scheme of life, does it matter? And it often doesn't. So talking about the grand scheme of life, I need to talk to you about 15 minute meetings. Tell me about these. Have they changed your life? <laughs> There's not enough time in the day for meetings to be more than 15 minutes. <laughs> no. so, some are important. I know some don't. We do have a lot to cover sometimes. But a lot of the time we schedule a meeting for an hour or half an hour even. And a lot of it is taken up with chit chat. And I know chit chat is important to get to know each other or to check in on each other. But a lot of the time, it's the same people that we're dealing with day in, day out. So we don't, you know, we've had a conversation in the kitchen making a coffee that morning. So we don't really need to see how each other's weekend's gone on as well on top, as part of this meeting. But I find that some people just love time away from their desk. So they use meetings as an excuse to just do nothing. <laughs> and I'm not that person. I'm a woman of action. <laughs> you know, let's sit down, agree what needs to be done and go back to work. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> Also, I feel like as I've got older, I'm a bit more direct with it. I'll tell people there's a time limit. I'll, um, I'll schedule 15-minute meetings and I'll move things along in the meeting, whereas people are happy to just meander the way through them. I'm like, right, what's next? <laughs> I, uh, I, I do live a tight agenda, I will be honest. <laughs> I, I, I imagine you're not the person then where somebody wanders away going, this meeting could have been an email. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god sometimes i actually take snacks to meetings too you know like if, if you invite me to a meeting that's longer than an hour i'm bringing snacks and and if it's three hours i'm bringing my laptop i'm working while you're talking that might seem rude but you're not going to need my full attention for three hours i think one of the things that um covid sort of taught us was um you, you you don't need these long meetings and, and you can nine times out of ten not all the time but a lot of the time do it on zoom or teams and yes. you're saving so much time because you're not mm -hmm. driving an hour or two hours or three hours for an hour's yes. meeting and then coming back again and losing all that time in the car 
Um, yeah. And I don't know anybody who doesn't have two screens up when they're in a Zoom meeting and is forwarding that email to someone else to deal with or actioning that or it, you just sort yeah. of tend to do two or three. It's not that you're not paying attention, but I can listen to somebody talking to me and also forward an email going, can you action this please? And that yeah, doesn't exactly. take my, my concentration yeah. away from what somebody's saying. It just means that nobody's waiting for an answer. It's uh, I'm, I'm just multitasking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you um, started your career as an apprentice. Did you multitask then? <laughs> or is it something you've learned? <laughs> well, as an apprentice, I probably was multitasking in terms of learning the ropes and displaying my latest fashion. <laughs> you know how it is when you're young. <laughs> but then I once I settled into being an apprentice and then became qualified and I quickly realized that my fashion wasn't appreciated. <laughs> I was surrounded in practice by a lot of men in grey suits. I'd go I'd be forced to go to networking dues by my employer and I'd feel like I stuck out like a sore thumb. Um so yeah, I feel like Although I enjoyed initially being an apprentice, to progress in my career, I had to be a bit more professional, look a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way, to be taken seriously. And that's quite disappointing, isn't it? Looking back, I do feel sorry for Paul Kelly. I am. Um, my first work outfit um, was a skirt and a blouse from Marks and Spencers. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, kill me now. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Marks and Spencers. I love their pyjamas. But I... It, <laughs> I, for yeah, a young I, girl. I was 17, 18, dressed yeah. in Marks and Spencer's skirt. And everything kind of seemed to be two sizes too big. If I look back at pictures now. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I must admit, um, I, um, I, I do still sort of adhere to the um, black and grey suit, trouser suits for running around the factory. Yeah. Um, which I had a conversation with Dr. Uh, Megan Renane from Innovate UK. Um, and she's very much of, I want to wear this, flat, you know, floral dress. I want to do my hair like this. That's yeah. how I feel comfortable. And I said, that, you know, I've had 35 years of running about in a dark trouser suit. One, I feel comfortable. And two, it doesn't show the oil. You know, if I'm underneath the machine, yes. <laughs> I, I can wear the suit again. I don't need to throw it away. Yeah, I mean, but what's I, important is that it's your choice. Yeah, exactly. You're wearing that rather than you feeling obliged to dress a certain way. It, exactly. And I, mm. I do wear, you know, um, uh, the, the brighter colours, the, the change in my style. And I wear things now I wouldn't have worn as a, a teenager in the industry um, yeah. because I wouldn't have fit in. Yeah. Um, and it does make, you, you do want to do... Well, you're sort of conditioned to fit in, aren't you? It's No, however, I did work for a company for a hot second before I, I didn't realise, I realised I didn't like it there, so I left. But there was a director there who was called Tracy, and I didn't realise she was a di director. It was quite a big company, and she always used to comment on what I was wearing. I used to be like, oh my gosh, love your shoes, when we saw each other in the morning. And then one day someone said, oh, you need to get this invoice signed by Tracy. And I was like, oh, right, where did she sit? She's like, oh, in, in the director's corridor upstairs. I was like... She's a, she's a director. And because I was only 18 at the time, my relationship changed with changed with her. I feel like I felt like I couldn't comment on her fashion because she would think that I'm being an airhead. Yeah. She's a director I want to be taken seriously. And she must have thought afterwards when she saw me, like, is she okay? 
But I was just intimidated by her title. And I think that's something we all need to remember as we get older and progress in our careers, that those 18-year-olds coming in are going to be intimidated by titles. Yeah. Whereas in reality, title equals responsibility. It Absolutely. doesn't equal importance. So true. It's not importance, it's not power, it's responsibility. Yeah, it, it really mm. is. So when you're um, looking at responsibility and how you advance others, um, do you do any mentoring there? Do you look at, um, you know, the, the, the younger people coming through and sort of say, keep an eye out for them and keep an eye on them? Throughout my whole career, I have been, throughout my whole life, I feel, I've been a champion for people, both personally and professionally. If they've got a goal, whether it's work-related, personal-related, if they mention it to me, I'm on their case. I want to. I, I want them to believe in themselves because you can achieve anything. And I want people to really believe that and go for it rather than thinking, oh, that's not for me, you know, I, I just don't have the right background for that, rah, rah, rah. So, yeah, when I was in practice, I trained people coming through the ranks um, in the business. I'm always looking out for people at all different levels. And it's good to have that relationship with people at all different levels. And, yeah, I just try to inspire people to live their best life. It's such a short life. Oh, it is. And it's really noticeable that, you know, you sort of walk the talk on, on places like LinkedIn where all your posts seem to be about other people and celebrating their wins no, um really generous sharing that no i said some nice things about me so i think that's lovely please say more yeah <laughs> i feel like there's so many people trying to tear each other down in the world why what do they get from that yeah why i can't we celebrate people being great and what people are great at and their wins rather than finding problems with people it's just such a toxic mindset it, it really is and one of the things that um, I really hope that you do, and if you don't, you start doing it, is when somebody's achieved a goal, that goes in your journal, so you that they and you tell them, so you can say, you know, I'm grateful that I spoke to I don't know Simon and he passed his exams and stuff. That'd oh be really yeah, nice. yeah. It's, it's interesting actually because I did actually tell my husband at the weekend um, that he's featured in my journal lots recently. Because, you know, I'm thankful for his support. He's, he's, you know, I, I know, like, relationships are difficult. and But generally speaking, my husband's one of my biggest supporters. And that's great. That's what you need, isn't it? It is. I mean, I, I'm just as lucky. Um, mm. and Because I tend to be quite visible in our sector. Um, and my husband's naturally quiet. People sort of assume, you know, I ride roughshod over everything. But I can only be that visible and do those things. And try to do something different and interesting whether it you know i fail or not i don't know until i try because he supports me in doing it he's got your back and and it's the same with friends as well you've got to have you don't have to have loads of friends but a handful of friends who truly believe in you and push you to be the person you have the potential to be that's what you need in life completely i and even if that cheer squad is only three or four people, if you can all sit down and go, I saw you did that, that was absolutely brilliant. Yes. Um, it, it, 
it, it's so much, it's so rewarding when it comes from someone who's, you know, is busy, you know, is successful, but you know, it's coming from a place of truth and that they really yeah. mean it. Um, rather than sort of lip service from somebody who walked past in a networking event. Yeah. Um, I told a friend that you'd invited me onto the podcast and I was like, oh, you know, am I relevant? I'm not very well connected. I'm only working with metal because, or in manufacturing because I kind of fell into it. Um, I'm not particularly passionate about manufacturing, but I'm passionate about my business. And um, she was like, of course you're relevant. Exactly. <laughs> she was like, don't even question yourself. You've achieved so much. And you just sometimes need someone to put, put, put you in your place, basically, in a good way. <laughs> it's, it's really difficult sometimes to see yourself. And I think as women, we're told over the years, particularly if you're a bit confident, um, you know, not to show off. Yes. Um, so you try and limit showing off and it's not necessarily showing off it's being passionate about something and getting carried away with it and talking about your business talking about your hobbies or people you who were achieving great things that you're excited to say oh and i met this person and blah 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 and people are like oh stop showing off and because we had yeah. that as little girls and and, and then you, in, for me in the 80s when i started work you know um, I, I was, you know, constantly referred to as that bolshy young woman. Um, and then as I got older, I became that bloody woman. Um, and I, I take it as quite a bad surprise now. It's so true. I saw a Taylor Swift interview and she was like, if you're a guy, you're a boss. If you're a woman, you're bossy. Yeah. So unfair. Yeah, it, it is. Mm. But it's also, as you get older, um, you sort of don't care anymore. I mean, you don't yeah. want to do something that's going to upset somebody, but I don't care if something I do, somebody thinks I shouldn't be doing it or they don't like the fact that I've done it or the way that I've done it. I'm not going to go out of my way to do something that's going to hurt somebody else. But if they don't like the way I live my life and run my, my businesses, that's not my problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right, we're over time. This has happened frequently recently. Gosh, I'm talking it goes by so much. fast, doesn't it? I know. Um, <laughs> I just want to uh, finish on two quick questions. Um, so you and your family, um, I know you like going skiing um, and you spent some time in Italy at Christmas. And I think you're a badass woman, but how important <laughs> is it for your family to see you as a badass woman? Um, I think my husband's already there, he knows it. <laughs> but my daughter, she's seven, and like you say, as young girls, we're encouraged to be a certain way, act a certain way. I was called a tomboy when I was younger because I used to enjoy going out and playing with my boy cousins rather than sitting inside with girl cousins. So I teach Meadow, my daughter, that she can be anything. She can evolve, she can experiment, and I'm also trying to be more direct with people. Like, not everyone in the world is polite and my default is being polite so if someone's not polite to me I'm not going to be overly polite back to them to make them feel comfortable or overcompensate for an awkward situation I'm more a bit more direct now like no actually to show her because I've got these young guys watching me that you know you, you don't have to be kind to people who aren't kind to you you know I'm, I'm always conscious of my next move and I, te I tell her in age-appropriate ways about things that I've had to overcome at work or things that I'm worrying about overcoming at work and then I give her feedback on what I did and how I handled it so she's always 
seeing that life's not straightforward, but I'm handling it. And I think one of the things that we're starting to teach young girls now um, over the last 20 years or so is that no is a complete sentence. Um, Absolutely. Whereas it was all very much, well, um, you know, you couldn't just say Mm -hmm. no. um, Yeah. and, or, and, or you'd have to make an excuse or tell a white lie to get out yes. of something. And actually, oh, I, no. I can't make that. I mean, I, I, I've said on a few times recently, no, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and someone said why, and I just went, it doesn't matter why. I don't why. want to. I don't it's want my to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and finally, what's the best advice you've ever received? I listen to a lot of podcasts, usually very positive ones, um, and I've heard this in a very a variety of different ways, but I put it in my own words, basically, 100 years from now, we're all gonna be dead. No one's gonna remember what you said or what you did, or they're not even gonna, probably gonna care in five years or even next week, a lot of the time. But if you do any major faux pas, you basically are gonna, it's all gonna be forgotten about in 100 years. Don't worry about it, go for it. And it, it encourages me to live more fearlessly that's so true we um i i think sometimes and i think particularly for for the younger generations who've lived their whole life on social media everything's been recorded um but again even though it's going to be out there no one's going to be making a list and taking stock and if we say something today um next week no one's going to remember it um, exactly. The only person lying awake at three o'clock in the morning thinking about it is you. <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been thank lovely. You. It's been really good. I've really enjoyed it. Thank oh, you. Excellent. That's what we aim for. That's what we aim for. <laughs> thank you very much. Take care. Speak soon. <laughs>